All right. This, I think, well, I know for sure this is part four of our sermon series, Christ's Method Alone. I'm pretty sure this will be the last one of this, of this series. So next week we'll start something new um, on our two-year anniversary birthday party, whatever you want to call it. Um, but today, Christ's Method Alone, we're going to Luke chapter 5. So take your Bible. We're going to spend most of our time there. Luke chapter 5. And this is a story that maybe we've read together before, um, but we're going to go through it a little bit more in depth today. Maybe you've read it on your own as well. But this is a story that I believe God wants to speak to us through. Luke chapter 5, Christ's Method Alone, part 4, Get in the Boat. Hopefully you've been uh, taking away some practical things each time that we've gotten to look at this. Uh, last week we talked about the home as, as the hub for gospel ministry and discipleship. I don't know how many invitations you've given um, to somebody else to come to your home or how many invitations you've opened up for yourself to go to someone else's home. But um, I, I really believe that God is giving to us individuals to disciple, giving to us individuals to deeply invest in. And so hopefully... Um, after today, we, we can understand how to get in the boat. Luke chapter 5. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James. Just to get a little bit of a, the context and runway into this story. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him. Who do you think him is in this verse? Jesus, right? As the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he, Jesus, stood by the lake of Gennesaret. All right, so go ahead, let, let your mind start painting the picture. Um, or maybe you like to see a moving picture, a movie play out in your mind. Here's Jesus just kind of standing by the lake. All right? Multitudes pressing in. This is a pretty intense word. Only used like seven times in the New Testament. And really it's uh, one time it's used in the book of Acts talking about storms that are pressing upon a ship. All right. So this is this is kind of a, an intense scene where Jesus is kind of standing his ground <laughs> um, and, and the multitudes are pressing about. But why are they pressing about according to this verse? What do you see there? As the multitude pressed about him to, to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Genesaret, verse 2, and saw two boats standing by the lake. Interesting, Jesus is standing and the boats are standing. All right, And they're both by the lake. He saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had done what? Had gone from them and were washing their nets. So, I mean, this, this might seem like just some generic narrative that's going on, but I really think Luke is being intentional. There's some direction and movement in these verses. The crowds are pressing in onto Jesus. Jesus is standing steady. The boats are also standing steady. And then there are these fishermen that aren't pressing towards Jesus. They're gone from the boat. You kind of see the opposite movements there. And if you were to stop right here, if you didn't know anything else about Jesus' ministry or what he was up to hereafter, if you didn't know anything about the characters that Jesus hung out with and stuff, if you just had these two verses to to conclude about Jesus' ministry, what you would find is, well, one, multitudes wanted to hear the word, right? What else would you conclude about these characters? Uh, you, might, you might conclude about Jesus that he was a people magnet, yeah? That he was someone who just, the crowds were drawn to. And then, if, again, if you just didn't know anything else about the rest of the gospel story and things like that, you might conclude something about the fishermen. That the fishermen could care less. 
If you just had these two verses, right? If you just had these two verses, the fishermen, they weren't part of the crowd that was pressing in on Jesus. They were actually moving in different directions. The fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Now, the thing is that we don't, like, we don't have a vacuum of knowledge here. We, we, we have a sense of who these fishermen are, right? Who, who would you think some of these fishermen would include? James and John, yeah, we know that from just a few verses down. I think it's in verse 10, yeah. Who else could these fishermen include? Peter, Peter, Andrew, yeah, 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 yeah. You put that, what's that? Zebedee. The sons of Zebedee, oh, the the father himself, yeah, Zebedee himself, yeah, probably, probably. All right, so there's this group of fishermen, but it's not that they're they're rejecting Jesus at this point. They're, They're just doing their business, right? They're washing their nets. They've probably been out there all night long, and so they're just doing their due diligence. They're, they're doing what they need to do for their families. And up to this point, we know <clears throat> that at least Peter is one of these fishermen. Fishermen who aren't pressing in on Jesus, but just kind of doing their thing. He's not part of the crowd that's wanting to hear the word. He's been fishing all night, according to verse 5. We'll, we'll look at that later on. He's at the lake to work, to work hard. <laughs> And he's at the lake to try to provide for his family, I'm assuming. And it's not that Jesus is a stranger to him, because actually if you turn just a a page over to chapter 4, you find that Jesus is doing quite a bit of things at Peter's house. Right At the end of chapter 4, Jesus is actually at Peter's home and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus is actually doing things there in Peter's presence. And according to Luke chapter 4, I think it's in verse 40, that when the sun had set, all those who, who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus. And where was all of this? This was all at Peter's house. So it's not that Peter was a stranger to Jesus. In fact, Jesus had quite a bit of interaction with him. But at this point in Luke chapter 5, Peter just had other things on his mind. Not bad things, just more urgent things or more pressing things, if you will. And yet this story here in Luke chapter 5 isn't about the interested crowds that are pressing in to hear the word. It's actually about Peter. It's actually about Jesus' intentional investment in the individual. Now sometimes... I don't know if you've ever found this to be true in your attempts or your desires to deeply invest in an individual or to disciple somebody. You found that maybe they haven't been as interested in you. Has that anybody ever happened to anybody? (laughs) You're trying to reach out to someone and they're really not very interested in you reaching out to them. And this is the reality. Sometimes the people we feel called to deeply invest in aren't going to demonstrate a ton of outward signs of spiritually intense interest. That's just the case sometimes. But it doesn't mean that they're not open. Do you follow that? Just because they're not showing the signs of intense spiritual, just because they're not part of the multitudes pressing in to hear the word, it doesn't mean that they're not spiritually open. It just means that God wants to use you to soften their hearts and turn their hearts to heaven. How is he going to do that? He's going to do that through an intentional process of building trust. He's going to do that through an intentional process of relationship building. And this is a quote that, uh, that we've looked at here in the past, and we'll look at it again. Christ's method alone 
will give true success in reaching the people, right? The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. This was the process. This is the method. And did this, did this process happen in a single day? Probably not. It, it took place over, over the course of time. And I think this is the process that Jesus wants to use us in reaching out to others. And this is the, the process, according to this quote, it's, it's Christ's method, and it's Christ's method alone that will bring true success. And so today, I wonder if we know people like that, people that we want to invest in, people that may not show a ton of signs of spiritual interest outwardly, but, it, but maybe their hearts aren't completely closed. And if you know somebody like that, I want us to kind of engage the rest of this study as we're going to look here at Luke chapter 5. I want us to engage the rest of this study with them in mind. Can you do that? Can you just bring up a name, someone that you've already been praying about, someone that maybe God has really just impressed upon you? Hey, you need to invest deeply in this person. You need to really just get in the boat, so to speak, with this person. As we, as we study the rest of Luke chapter 5 together, just consider that individual as we go along, all right? Okay, so here we are, Luke chapter 5. And what we're going to find is we're going to find four... Yeah, I think we've got four principles of discipleship, all right? Four principles of discipleship. And really, we're going to find it in this one story, Luke chapter 5, verses 5 through, five through 11, 5 through, uh, yeah, 5 through 11 here. We're going to find these principles of discipleship, and they're, they're really um, these principles that we read about here in Christ's Method, okay, in, in the book Ministry of Healing. We're going to discover these things and that, that for Jesus, it really did bring about true success. Now, I want to, again, just mention this, that this process that we're talking about, it takes place over time. Yeah? It's lived out in day-to-day relationships and interactions and stuff. We're going to see Jesus in this one story. It's kind of like one uh, isolated event, one, uh, one encounter. And I think Jesus' actions in this one encounter actually illustrate these very principles. All right, So it's kind of like a... Con- condensation or concentration, I would say, of the very principles that Jesus lived out throughout his entire life. Okay, so that's what we're looking for. Um, four simple principles. All right, so Luke chapter 5, let's go here to verse 3. Each principle is kind of based on a, a simple action that Jesus takes. All right, <clears throat> Luke chapter 5, verse 3, the Bible says this Then he got into one of the boats which was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. We're just going to stop right here and pause. We're going to look at the different actions that Jesus takes here. And the first action that I think is really notable is in verse three, the very first phrase. Then he, Jesus did what? He got into one of the boats, which was whose? Simon Peter's, right? Now, you might think this is a really insignificant action. Oh, man, this was a, a, a step or a behavior of Jesus that was just really out of necessity. Remember, he's standing by the lake and crowds are pressing in, so he's got to find somewhere else to stand. And so he gets into a boat that the crowds can't get into. Okay? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But I really think this is more than just an impulse. This is more than just spur of the moment making do. This was Jesus' intentional choice. 
he chose to get into a boat. And not just any boat, right? He had two to choose from. Whose boat was it? It was Simon Peter's. And so here's the first principle. Oh man, I didn't read the rest of this. Um, you'll just have to read it on your own. Okay, Here, here's, the, here's the first principle. Here's the first principle. Principle number one of discipleship is interested presence. Interested presence. And the bottom line about discipleship is that discipleship doesn't happen from a distance. Discipleship doesn't even happen by proxy. Well, he said this, so I'm telling you that. No, no, no. Discipleship is something that happens within proximity. Again, I don't think this was an impulsive move of Jesus to get into Peter's boat. It wasn't spur of the moment. It was his intentional choice. I need to get into Peter's boat. He wanted to invest deeply, and it required being close. It required being close. Last week, we talked about being in each other's homes. In this case, Jesus just wanted to be in his boat, in the thing that was really important to him, in the very context that Peter was focused Sure, it met a need that Jesus had in that present moment of finding some safe ground to stand on. But Jesus was more motivated by meeting a need of Peter's. Remember, Jesus mingled. He came close. And like the quote said, he mingled with men men as one who desired their good. Right? Jesus wasn't just doing this for his own benefit. He was doing it for Peter's benefit, after all. And though Peter didn't come out to the lake to see Jesus, I truly believe that Jesus came out to the lake to ultimately see Jesus. Peter. Maybe Jesus came out, or Peter came out to get some fish, but Jesus came out to catch Peter. And when we talk about interested presence, it's not just being present that is the key. It's about being interested and present. Yeah. And this is uh, this is a really big difference. I think um, I don't know if if you're familiar with this, but sometimes in evangelism contexts, like when we're doing outreach and other things like that. In evangelism circles, we often use this term, oh, he's an interest or she's an interest. How many interests do you have? Have you, have you heard that before? Yeah. And really that, that's talking about, um, I guess when, when people use that lingo, we're talking, we're referring to acquaintances or individuals who show an interest in our message or in our ministries or programs. But maybe, maybe discipleship hinges more on whether or not we are showing genuine interest in others. Did you hear that? Okay, it's not how many interests do I have, but am I showing genuine interest in others? Maybe we ought to shift our focus from garnering others' interest to actually investing loving attention. Less on being interesting, but being interested. I'll say it again so you can write it down. Maybe we can shift our focus uh, as, as far as ministry planning or personal effort to less on being interesting to other people, but on being interested in other people. Right? And this is something that I think Jesus really modeled to us. Interested presence. Pr- discipleship principle number one. All right. Continuing on there in Luke chapter 5, verse 3, the rest of the verse. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. And what did Jesus do next? He asked him to put out a little from the land. He asked him to put out a little from the land. What was Jesus doing here? What was Jesus doing? Trying to create a little bit more distance so that he could see more of the crowd. Yeah? But do you remember? Okay, so I guess I'm not a fisherman. I haven't had much experience with boats and stuff. How much effort do you think it would have taken for Jesus to push out a little from the land? 
I don't know, maybe get, grab an oar, just kind of stick it into the ground, push out just a little bit, yeah? Did he really need Peter's assistance here? No. Now, as I'm reading this story, Jesus has a very simple need on his hands. He could have done it himself, but for some reason he asks Peter to get out of the water where he was washing his nets, get into the boat with him, and help him. I mean, Jesus didn't even need an oar to do this. He could have just said, move, <laughs> right? <laughs> and get crates, you know, five meters of distance or whatever the case, right? Jesus could have done this on his own, but for some reason he wants Peter to help him. He wants Peter to partner with him. And here I think is discipleship principle number two, simple favors, simple favors. So Jesus, number one, he showed uh, interested presence. He showed interest in Peter, wanted to be present in his boat. But not only that, when he was present, Jesus wasn't afraid to ask him for a simple favor. In fact, it's not just that he wasn't afraid to, he wanted to ask Peter to help him out. Now, again, thinking back to that quote, um, Jesus uh, Christ's method alone will bring true success in reaching the people. He mingled with men as one who desired their good. He sympathized with their needs. Like he, he wanted to meet their needs. But you know, sometimes when we're talking about meeting people's needs, I don't know if you've ever tried, if you've ever found this to be true, but at times where you're wanting to help somebody out, they're not wanting your help. Have you ever found that to be the case? They don't want to be turned into a project, so to speak. Sometimes, as, P- as Jesus demonstrates for Peter, sometimes it's not so much that we need to find a way to help our friends, but what if we ask them to help us? What if we ask them for a simple favor? Is this manipulation? No. This is about building trust. <laughs> this is about building trust. When we mingle with others and we want to meet their needs, sometimes it's more appropriate to invite them to meet your own needs. Why? Because I believe trust begets trust. Trust begets trust. You think of other times when Jesus has done this. Jesus, this isn't a, an isolated instance. When Jesus was uh, walking um, through Samaria, he had to go through Samaria, according to John chapter 4, and midday he stops at a well, and there's this woman who is there all by herself, and Jesus recognizes a heart need. He wants to meet her need. But you know what Jesus says first? Can you give me some water? Before he says, hey, let me help you out, he's asking for her help. There's a simple favor that he's asking for. And it sends a message. Because sometimes when the interest is only one-sided, as in the case of the woman at the well, or maybe even here, Peter, uh, Jesus was interested in Peter, Peter not so much in Jesus, at least at this moment. This is helpful to ask for a simple favor. And it sends a message, you're useful you're needed, you're valued, and you're trustworthy. It's a door opener. And for Peter, maybe as a result of this, Peter was more at ease with Jesus being in his boat, just because Jesus needed a little favor here. So sometimes we get hung up not knowing how to actually help somebody or how to actually sympathize or minister to someone else's need. Um, What if... Instead of focusing on how you can help them, why don't you ask them for some help that you need? Are we following today? Does that sound? Yeah, okay. So discipleship, principle number one, interested presence. Principle number two, simple favors. Number three, demonstration. 
demonstration. What are we what are we looking at here? Verse three again. Then he got into one of the boats, there's the interested presence, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, there's your simple favors. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. This is a significant action here that Jesus is taking. You know, had Jesus been put out from the land just by himself in Peter's boat, Peter may have done one of two things. He could have kept washing his nets in the water. He could have uh, grown resentful about Jesus using his boat. Like, well, what does he do anyway with that? No, but now Jesus has Peter in his own boat with him. They're together. And what Jesus does is he doesn't just all of a sudden start preaching at Peter. According to this verse, the, the end of verse 3, who is Jesus sitting down to teach? The multitudes. The multitudes. In other words, Jesus is carrying on with his life. And he just happens to be in proximity with Peter. This is the principle of demonstration. In other words, Jesus was giving Peter a front row seat to his life and ministry. You know, when we choose to get into other people's lives, when we choose to step into their boats, what do they see and hear and pick up from our social media feeds? You know, what, what, who, who do they see? What are, what are the messages that they pick up on? Jesus wasn't preaching at Peter. He was just being himself around Peter and letting Peter observe. You know, sometimes we worry about what to say to our friends. I don't know about you. Like when I'm uh, approaching an interaction with somebody, especially if it's someone who doesn't believe as I do and I really long for them to, to understand things that, that I see and things like that, I often, um, I'll go through like several versions of a script of how to, how to actually engage a conversation. I'll, I'll go through one question. No, that doesn't make sense. And I'll say it another way. And, oh, no. and I'll, I'll, I'll just worry myself to silence, really. <laughs> Sometimes we worry about what to say to our friends, but maybe our primary concern should be just how we live, how we live around our friends, how we reflect the character of God, and we let our relationship with God be on display. I don't know if we're aware of that all the time, but I hope that we, we can just kind of take this and just recognize it. Eh, are we aware that whether or not we, are, we have a pulpit, so to speak, our lives are constantly preaching? Whether or not you have a pulpit, your life is constantly declaring a sermon, a message. It's, it's like a walking billboard. And this principle of demonstration, for it to be used well, it requires two things, well, maybe three. One, it requires consistency. Because a, a walking billboard that's constantly changing messages is not going to be paid attention to after a while. Right? <clears throat> it requires consistency, but it also requires transparency. In other words, we need to be willing to let other people see how we live. We need to be willing to, to not just put on a front that people see a certain version of ourselves but we need to be willing to let others see how we live and how we love and how we believe even when we don't have it all together. Amen? Like even when we're struggling, they need to see how we're navigating those struggles because we trust in Jesus. They need to see that. And I said two things, but maybe it does require a third thing, not just consistency and transparency. But in order to really live out demonstration, we also have to have humility. Because it's not about hey, let me demonstrate for you what it's like to be a Christian. Look at me. You know, that's, that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. Having humility, like John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. In other words, living out a life that is not about me, 
but it's allowing Jesus to live out his life through me. Yeah, this is the principle of demonstration. All right, fourth principle here. We're going to verse 4. You got your Bibles? In verse 4, the Bible says, When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, and this is kind of now the the crux, the turning point where things go from the the public perspective. This is what Jesus is doing for the multitudes. And now he's getting honed in on Simon Peter himself. Verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Do you know what happens after this? Have you read this story? Let's just read it. Okay, verse 6. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, what did he do? He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Man, what was the internal dialogue? What, why, was he, why was Peter saying all of this? Is it just because Jesus is a miracle worker? Or did Peter recognize that he had the opportunity to press close to Jesus but had rejected it? I mean, do you see what's going on? Peter's recognizing, oh man, Jesus came all out to me. I, I am not worthy of this. He's saying, get away from me, for I am a sinful man, but Jesus has no other choice. (laughs) He's in his boat already. And in verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will, what? You will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. You know, when I had uh, approached this story initially, you know, wanting to, to preach on this and stuff, in my mind, I had thought that this was a time where Jesus says to the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But I think Jesus had already said, follow me. The invitation was lingering. Peter was still responding or rejecting And it was at this point, Peter really sealed the deal. Oh man, if Jesus is going to come out to me, get into my boat to choose me, to pay attention to me, to actually fill my empty nets, then I'm all in. All right, and so here's the fourth principle of discipleship. And it's the principle of deep trust. Going back to verse four, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. What was Jesus doing here? What was Jesus, was Jesus just uh, trying to get Peter's focused attention now? Uh, was Jesus saying, okay, I'm done with the crowds. I just, I just need you to follow me, you know? Was he challenging his faith? Was he, was he trying to make Peter feel bad? Hey, you should have been pressing in with the crowds too. Why were you washing your... And was, was Jesus trying to castigate Peter at this point? No, 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 no. I think this was, this was less about Jesus trying to gain another follower, trying to communicate... Um, you know, an agenda to Peter. And really, I think it was more selfless than that. I think Jesus, hanging out in Peter's boat, observed some empty nets and said, Peter, let me help you fill your nets. This is something that happens when we invest in people and we get close to people. 
you and I might start becoming aware of nets that are empty. And for Jesus, this is about blessing Peter, not just gaining a follower. This is about giving to this individual who has a deep need, not just being successful in ministry. And I hope and pray as we conclude this sermon series, you know, Christ's method alone and seek to be disciple makers in our own spheres of influence, that we would not invest in people in order to chalk one up, in order to have a star in our crown, in order to be successful, but that we would be disciple makers in order to fill people's nets, in order to serve and bless and uplift. In other words, it has to be about them and not about you. Amen. Uh, really, this, this servant's attitude and disciple-making, it guards our hearts from feeling like people owe us something when they don't respond the way we hope they would. Because disciple-making always has to be about loving and giving and blessing and serving. Never about, am I successful? Do I get another star in my crown? And maybe we don't have that internal dialogue just like that. But please, in your discipling, in your prayers for, for those that God wants to give to you, in your prayers and interactions for those you want to deeply invest in, keep this prayer. Lord, lay self to the dust. Keep that prayer. Keep lifting that up to God. God, lay self to the dust. Let me be truly invested and interested in serving and blessing and giving. So the principle of deep trust, this is what Jesus did. As, as confidence grows, as relationship increases, as you are in proximity, in the boat with others, go ahead, start observing what are the empty nets in their lives that you can be instrumental in fulfilling. There was a time not too long ago, it was actually the, within the first year of moving here to Castle Rock, we still lived in a, an apartment complex just off of Plum Creek and we had a small group at our home. Uh, Richard was part of that group. It was such a blessing to have. Elba was there often and um, there was one night that, um, that we, we pulled our small group together and one of our neighbors that we didn't have very much interaction with at, the, at that time, she just happened to knock on our door. I'm not sure if she needed something like a cup of sugar. I don't know what, <laughs> what it was, but she, she just happened to knock on the door and um, we could sense that things just weren't, weren't up, weren't right. And we invited her to stick around. Hey, we're, we're going to have a meal and we're going to do a Bible study and stuff. And at that point, I didn't know if she was actually a believer or a Christian or whatever, but she actually came later. She, you know, she put her child to bed and, and came down. <clears throat> and the story we happened to be studying, we were going through miracles in the gospel of Luke. And uh, we, we were studying this story, Luke chapter five. And as we sat around the circle there, as we talked about just ways that you know, God is speaking to us individually. This, this neighbor of ours, she shared, verse 5, she said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. She looked up with tears in her eyes and she said, I feel like I've been toiling all night. I've caught nothing. Friends, there are people all around us who may not seem like they're spiritually interested or they're not pressing in, but they've got empty nets. There are people right here today. Each and every one of us can probably resonate with this at some level. Man, I've been toiling all night for this. And nothing, fruitlessness, worthless, it just seems futile. 
Is there anything that's going to come of this? All these years, decades of effort and prayer and whatever the case. You may have empty nets, but Jesus knows how to fill them. Praise him. (laughs) And so when we are investing in other people and we start observing empty nets in their boats, it's not that we are the ones that are going to fill them. No. But when we bid them follow me, what we're really asking is, hey, I've found that Jesus filled my empty net. Would you follow me in trusting him to fill your empty net too? That's what that is. I've found that Jesus filled my empty wallet. (laughs) Would you trust him? Would you follow me in trusting him to fill your your need, your physical reason. I've, I've found that my, my relationships, my marriage, my, my, my parenting relationship has just been empty. But when I trusted that empty net with Jesus, he filled it. Will you follow me in letting him fill your emptiness? That's what following, that's what bidding others to follow you is really all about. You're bidding others into an experience where they can trust Jesus with their empty nets. And the reality is that in order to invite somebody like that, to follow you into that, it only happens naturally and it happens most compellingly when it's an experience that we've had ourselves. In other words, we can only bid others to follow us. We can only bid others to trust Jesus with their empty nets when we've trust Jesus with our empty nets ourselves. So simple question. Do you know Jesus as the one who fills your empty net? If you do, then you probably know the rest of Simon's experience, Peter's experience here, how how that simple decision to say, at your word, (laughs) at your word I will, to exercise faith and the cascading impact that has. For Peter, it led to an experience of repentance and conversion. It led to an experience of consecration. Okay, let's go. Let's follow. Let's, let's give up everything here. I'm all in. Do you know Jesus is the one who fills your empty nets? If you do, then that last part of the quote of Ministry of Healing where it says, you know, um, you'll win their confidence and bid them follow me. Man, I don't know if, if you ever read that and you're like intimidated. How can I let others, other people follow me? I, I'm not worth... Well, if you've, if you've trusted Jesus with your empty nets, by saying, follow me, you're simply saying, will you trust him too? Will you trust him too? So what Jesus did for Peter is what he wants to do to disciple each and every one of us today. And it's what he wants to do to enable us to disciple others. Just a simple review. He wants us to show interested presence. He's giving us permission to, to ask for simple favors. He's, he's calling us to live lives that are on, on display, so to speak, uh, demonstration. And he's giving us the call to call others to a deep trust in him. But I want us to know something. In all of our efforts to disciple others, it will only happen as we've been discipled. Yeah? And of all of our efforts to show interested presence in others, we need to know that Jesus has shown interested presence in us, that he's gotten into our boat, that he is asking for our simple favors, that he's put on display who the character of God really is, that he's calling us to deep trust. And so do we know it today? I want us to personalize this. He's choosing us today. He's wanting to be in your boat and in mine. He's wanting to be present to meet our needs. He's wanting to fill the nets that you feel like you've toiled long over but are still empty.
Jesus wants to do that. What are your empty nets today? What are your empty nets today? Is it your relationships, whether with your spouse or with your children? Is it your finances? Is it your, uh, maybe your emotional stability or capacity to give? Is it your courage? Or is your courage empty? Is your hope empty? Is it clarity about next steps that feels like there's nothing there? Is it your effectiveness in witnessing or sharing or discipling? Well, I want to encourage you, come home to Jesus and let him fill your empty nets today. We're going to sing a closing song. Becky's chosen a closing song for us softly and tenderly. And just like Peter did that day, I want us to, to launch out. Go ahead, take him at his word, trust him deeply, and bring our empty nets to him. So if that's your desire, would you please stand with us as we sing uh, the three verses of this song? <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are the God who is calling Sometimes we recognize today that we're not hearing and that we're not pressing in. But today, Lord, um, we just want to praise you for being the one who steps into our boat and who can and who will fill our empty nets. Father, we, we pray today for those, those dynamics in our lives that uh, we've been toiling hard, um, but realizing that all of our effort comes to naught. And so we pray that you would give us the capacity to surrender today. That you would give us the good sense to say, yes, Jesus, um, I'll launch out at your word. Lord, please do this day and day and day after day in our lives. That you can use us to, to lead others to this experience in their lives. God, you know the individuals that we are deeply invested in or wanting to be deeply invested in. And so we pray that you would give us love for them, love like you love them. Lord, that you would use us to get in their boats, that you would use us to even lean on them for help in our own lives, and that ultimately you would use us to lead them to trust you with their empty nets. Please, God, we pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We thank you so much that you want to use us to impact others' eternities. In Jesus' saving name, let the family sing. Amen. Amen.